Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, you're about to hear from Gada Sasa. She's a Palestinian third generation refugee. Uh, She's completing her Ph.D. at McMaster University, and she's on the board at Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East. We booked her on the show to talk to us about decolonization. What, What does it mean? What does that look like? We wanted to ask her what she thinks Canadians should be doing about the Israel Hamas war. As you're about to hear, the interview goes off the rails a little bit. After you check it out, let us know what you think. Our inbox is always open. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. The Israel-Hamas war at nearly the two-week point... Today, we're going to check in with an activist and a scholar. Gada Sasa is a Palestinian third-generation refugee. She'll be joining us momentarily to take us into some of the stories that are leading the headlines in a part of the world that has seen conflict, tension, frankly, for thousands of years, uh, most particularly over the last 80. But what's been happening in the last two weeks feels a little bit different. So say the experts. What does this all mean? Where do we go from here? What is a proper Canadian response? We'll continue our conversation, the ones that we've been having for the past two weeks and will continue to have moving forward in just a second. This episode of Real Talk is presented by Business Career College. If you're looking for a rewarding and high-paying career without a university degree, you can get started as an insurance professional with Business Career College. In Canada, insurance agents start around $56,000 a year, can quickly bump up to more than $90,000 annually. All you need to do is take an approved course and pass your licensing exam. Business Career College offers industry-leading approved courses in life insurance and property and casualty insurance plus their expert instructors are passionate about helping you launch your new career right now there's a special deal for real talk audience members you can save 15 percent on any business career college insurance course with the code real talk that's all one word real talk get started today at businesscareercollege.com Well, the numbers are staggering. The story, obviously horrifying as violence continues between Israel and Hamas, as well as fighters in the West Bank an Israeli air raid uh, within the last 24 hours. As we speak to you on this Thursday morning in southern Gaza, killed at least 30 people yesterday, injuring another 21. Israel hit Hezbollah positions in southern Lebanon as well. At least two people reported injured. At least five Palestinians killed in Israeli raids in the occupied West Bank. Meantime, on North American soil, an estimated 300 protesters from the human rights organization Jewish Voice for Peace, they were calling for a ceasefire. They were arrested after occupying one of the blocks in the U.S. Capitol. That was earlier this week. The human impact of this violence is staggering. The death toll in Gaza stands at nearly 3,500 people killed with more than 12,000 wounded. In the occupied West Bank, 69 people killed, 1,300 wounded. In Israel, at least 1,400 people killed, nearly 4,000 injured since those Hamas attacks on October 7th. 
Our guest this morning, as mentioned, a third-generation refugee, Gada Sasa, uh, Palestinian heritage and activist and scholar, completing her PhD in political science at McMaster University, where she writes on Israeli green colonialism. Uh, she's a board member at Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East, and we're grateful, Gada, that you're able to join us this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, what's Israeli green colonialism? That jumped out at me. I've not seen the phrase before. So basically, I look at how Israeli uh, the Israeli regime uses environmental policies like national parks and nature reserves to colonize Palestinian land. Interesting. And wh- wh- what put that particular subject matter or that specific focus on your radar? Um, so I did my master's in environmental studies and as a Palestinian, I just thought that the greenwashing of the Israeli regime is really quite disgusting and outrageous. So they try to promote themselves as a state that is making the desert bloom, uh, which is basically insinuating that Palestine was an uninhabited land that was completely deserted, um, literally, and that they came to bloom it when in fact, Uh, Of course, Palestinians have been living in the region for centuries, and also uh, the majority of the Palestinian population actually were, until now, they identify as Falahin or farmers, so um, they very much cultivated the land. About half of Palestine is like a Mediterranean climate, so it was definitely blooming before they showed up. Mm. But I just wanted to, I guess, shed light on this angle, and what I advocate for, besides, of course, decolonization, is... um, decolonizing environmentalism or trying to promote an environmentalism that recognizes human rights because um i trace back israel's propaganda for to um the founding of modern environmentalism in the 18th century and how western environmentalism basically tried to separate human and environmental rights right to say like oh um you know the us is the one that invented national parks and their idea was to protect nature we have to exclude indigenous people and that's what we call like fortress conservation and uh, more and more people are standing up against this being like first of all this is racist right trying to portray women poor indigenous people as the primary environmental culprits and um, justifying excluding them but also um, people are recognizing even from an environmental perspective that these (laughs) policies are extremely detrimental and that what we need more is actually um, how do we like coexist harmoniously with nature as you know communities worldwide have been doing for centuries if it were not for capitalism, colonialism, et cetera. Mm. Um, thanks for taking us into that. Uh, I want to talk to you uh, while we're speaking this morning about decolonialism or decolonizing and what that looks like uh, through your eyes and, and what you understand that to mean, what you think your fellow Canadians should understand about it. But I, I just want to ask off the top the question that a lot of people are, are just asking fellow citizens these days, and, and that's where's your head at? How are you wrapping your mind around what's happening in, in Gaza and in, and in Israel? And, and what are you focusing on in particular right now? Yeah, it's obviously very difficult what we're going through. At times, I feel it physically sick, you know, and I have family. So basically, to give a bit more of my personal background, my mom comes from the West Bank, which is currently illegally occupied by Israel. And actually, before I even get into that, I think it's important to give some context about the Nakba, because, you know, in your introduction, you're saying um, this is a thousand year conflict, like over a thousand of years. And that's a misconception that's often being promoted 
um actually you know for the longest time the holy land was actually quite peaceful um jews christians muslims lived in peace as palestinians and i have stories that i know from my family about how they used to interact but what happened was it was the founding of zionism in the late 19th century in europe which was trying to create a jewish ethnocentric state in what is now called palestine and at the time of zionism's founding about only about 5% of Palestine's population was actually Jewish. So the only way for them to create a Jewish state was by ethnically cleansing the vast majority of the indigenous population. And so that's what happened in 1917. British, who were occupying Palestine, secretly agreed to give Palestinian land to um, create the Zionist settler colony without indigenous knowledge or consent. And um, by 1948, Israel was established after Zionist militias that were really militarily, economically supported by the British were able to ethnically cleanse about 80% of the Palestinian population. That's about close to 800,000 people who were expelled, including my father's family. So my father is from the city of Faramle, which is part of what's now called Israel, and we refer to it as 1948 Palestine. Hmm. And my mother is from the... Um, city of Nablus, specifically a village called Madama. And um, so basically what happened in 1948, they took, the, Israel took 78% of Palestine. And then in 1967, they occupied illegally the remaining 22%. And the reason Israel didn't just annex it, because that would have been totally possible for them, is because they didn't want to include Palestinians in their demographics. And also they didn't want to give us our rights. So now they have access over our land and resources um it's fully an apartheid regime as it has been recognized by human rights watch and amnesty international and until now um so i want to recognize that israel is a settler colonial regime just like canada and the united states and a settler colonial regime it seeks to erase all indigenous inhabitants um it erases our history thank you for the map <laughs> exactly you can see how like you know, throughout history, it's just been, you know, now it's just like morsels of land, so, which is why when people say, oh, we need like a two state solution. I mean, first of all, that's unjust, because what about, you know, the rest of, you know, what's now called Israel and it's 1948 Palestine, because Palestinians have the right to return in accordance with UN Resolution 194. And then also what kind of a state is actually feasible, like the two state solution doesn't even make sense, right? So what we're asking for is equal rights, right? When we talk about what decolonization looks like, um, you know, justice, freedom, equality. These are the, this is the framework that we are uh, concerned with. So basically what happened is when my father's family was expelled, a lot of them went to the Gaza Strip because it was the closest to Ramla. From there, some people went to Jordan and Syria. However, we have relatives in Gaza and actually last week, uh, we lost 45 family members what? in Gaza in one day. 45 family members of yours were killed? Yeah, in one day. Yeah, it was a father who's a doctor, his wife, his three kids. Um, you had one dentist, two teachers, their wives, their children, gone. Just everybody's gone. They're all martyred. <laughs> Is your father yeah. still living? Is your father in Canada? Yeah. Have you had a, have you spoken with your parents? Have you spoken with your father in the past several days? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously it was horrible. I mean, I didn't even know how to express like that grief, right? I mean, I'm grieving over all of Gaza, right? They're all my family, but 
um, when it's so close to home, it really does like shake you how like, you know, you hear their stories like, um, you know, especially like the dentist, he was actually rescuing people in Gaza all week and he just was coming back from the hospital to try to like check on his family and he was killed. So it's like, it's just unbelievable that this is going on with the complicity of Canada, which of course I want to touch on. Today. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get into that. I, and by the way, I don't want to, you know, we call the show real talk. I would have, you and I are speaking for the first time, uh, but, but I don't want to just move on uh, from what you've just shared with us uh, on a human level. Um, it, that's horrific to hear. And I'm extremely sorry. I don't have the words to express, uh, you know, our condolences. These are real people. These are human beings. Uh, that are dying. I think that the average Canadian, I think that the average person uh, around the world um, is 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 torn up about this and maybe lacks a fulsome understanding of all of the dynamics at play, as is often the case with war, most especially with people that don't have lived experience in these regions that are seeing this conflict, that are seeing this violence erupt. But what we do know uh, is seeing civilian death tolls uh, is for the average person, uh, obviously completely unacceptable and, and, and something that I think people are, are, are feeling uh, like they want to do something or they want to say something. I think in, in this particular case, I don't know if you would agree with me or not, but non-Israelis or non-Palestinians uh, are quite hesitant to, to weigh in on this and to speak publicly about this. Uh, I think because the average person doesn't maybe fully understand or doesn't feel comfortable taking a position, everybody planting flags on this. Obviously, your perspective is 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 much different on this. So what would be your message to your fellow Canadians uh, that are feeling as I've just described? Yeah, I think the situation of Palestine, as although it is a settler colonial and it's we've seen this over the centuries, it is a bit unique because Israel was founded in 1948 as we saw like colonizers retreating all over the world, right? And then at the same time, like we, you know, with, under, with TV and all the surveillance, like Israel's able to do all of this. How is that possible? Well, two things, I think, first of all, there's been a huge campaign of disinformation as well as Islamophobia. So, um, you know, Zionists were trying to argue, we need to create a Jewish state in order to combat anti-Semitism. However, actually, I would argue that Zionism is an anti-Semitic movement. And if you look at the founder of Zionism, Theodore Herzl, he actually used to argue that basically anti-Semitism was always going to be a thing in Europe. And the only way to combat it was for them to leave, like placing the blame on Jews themselves and then seeing the solution as colonizing another country. So... Um, I would argue that that is what is an, an anti-Semitic movement, but, you know, they kind of just try to appropriate resistance against anti-Semitism, say, <clears throat> and and then they combine that with um, trying to argue that, you know, Palestinians or just Muslims in general, because the, the majority of Palestinians are Muslim, I would say about 80%, and the rest are mostly Christian, and then we have some Jewish Palestinians, but at the time... Um, you know, I think uh, until now, Islamophobia is being heavily per perpetuated by, you know, promoting us as inherently violent, anti-Semitic. And so um, and also there's a lot of just trying to portray this as a conflict or a complex issue, but it's not a complex issue at all. It's um, a settler colonial regime, again, just like Canada, Palestinians are indigenous people. And we've been subject to not only settler colonialism, but apartheid. And um, 
you know, all settler colonial regimes are genocide, but what we see happening in Gaza is just so obviously a genocide, right? Because um, we see more like in settler colonialism what's called a slow genocide. So since only 1967, about 80,000 Palestinians have been killed by Israel, which I think is a number that just is just crazy. And then um, Gaza was imprisoned for the last 17 years. Israel has not only occupied it, but they've com placed complete siege on it. They have you know, they have them literally on a diet and they control what goes in and out. It's uh, been labeled, you know, the biggest open air prison in the world. And, um, you know, I talk about how I had almost a whole family on my dad's side, like wiped out. About 45 families actually in Gaza have been completely wiped out from the civil registry. So, um, and yeah, over a thousand children martyred over the last week. I mean, words fail me, but um, this is why I think we need to be careful not to call this Israel Hamas war. Um, what do you think it should be called? Way back than Hamas. Hamas was voted in, ha what should we call it? Yeah. This is Israeli genocide against Palestinians, right? But um, but but you but like for for reporting on it for journalism, uh, you know, starting with October seventh and 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 attacks on Israel, uh, you know, the I, I've seen people debate whether or not those should be described as terrorist attacks. Frank, my position is I don't know what else you would call them. Uh, there there are a lot of people right now saying, well, Hamas does not represent Palestine. Hamas does not equal Palestine. Do you agree or disagree with that? Like, I guess what I'm asking is, is what's your position on what happened on October 7th? So we have to recognize that Hamas is the elected government of the people in Gaza. And that's not to say that, you know, everybody is supporting this government. I'm saying all Palestine, actually all political factions right now um have been siding with resistance because what do you expect after a people have been besieged for 17 years they've witnessed so many times israel year after year is bombing gaza it's been relentless killing people killing journalists and i'm talking about like like we saw last year with shirina bakley a journalist they just used a sniper and they just assassinated her and mm -hmm. there's been no one held accountable like the numerous war crimes. I was advocating for the last year um, for a child called Ahmed Manasada, who's actually from the West Bank, and Israel imprisoned him since he was 13 years old and tortured him. And um, he's been suicidal. He's been diagnosed with schizophrenia. And, um, you know, last month was his trial and it was canceled because uh, he was hospitalized. So um, and they just like they had him in solitary confinement since the end of, um, since November, 2021. So two years in solitary confinement when we know over 15 days, is just inhumane and just beyond cruelty. And so, yeah, this is just a, a country that just violates, you know, it's just killing our people, our children, our everybody. And um, yeah, so even we recognize under international law that uh, people can use even armed struggle against colonizers, against occupiers. So I think it's important that we contextualize that this is not a war. You know, when we see Israel bomb a hospital and kill over a thousand people, that's not them targeting Hamas. That's them trying to eliminate the people of Palestine. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the story of that hospital bombing, um, you know, I, I, I hesitate to sit here on this perch um, and, and, and comment on something where I'm not there, I'm not reporting. There, there is uh, a great degree of disagreement 
on the source of that explosion, on where it landed, et cetera, et cetera. I think the average person is having a very difficult time determining what is propaganda and what is truth. Um, I think that the media is under an intense amount of scrutiny, uh, which is fair uh, in covering this. Uh, so, so just so I'm clear, when we're looking at what, I mean, when, when we say what started this, and you take us back to the 1940s, which is fair. We talked about in the 1960s, fair. That's all relevant here. But what really started this uh, were the attacks on October 7th, right? In including, you know, more than 260 people murdered at a music festival. Are you saying that was fair play? Like, are you saying that that was a, a fair response? Hamas targeting civilians in Israel as a response to some of the factors that you've been describing or, or, or do you condemn the attacks on October 7th? I think we should look at the situation in Ukraine, for example, as a comparison and how, you know, because I don't want to say just letting Western media off like, oh, um, you know, they're under great scrutiny. Because when we saw the world come together for Ukraine and denounce Russian occupation, nobody was expecting their statements to denounce the deaths of Russian civilians. People were rightfully censuring the victims of um, the Russian occupation and what we're seeing, right? People were censuring Ukrainians. And so why is it now when we're talking about an indigenous people who are being genocided, and these are people who've tried peacefully protesting so many times. We can look at just uh the march of return right a couple of years ago and how that that involved thousands of palestinians in gaza just marching to the fence peacefully you know defending the right of return and how many of them were massacred right we can look at every week in the west bank you know every day there's protests peaceful protests and people get shot people get shot and killed just for nothing just for you know existing sometimes um we see sometimes israelis shoot each other like <laughs> You know, I talked to my family. So I said I have uh, my father's family, but my my mother's family in the West Bank. I keep talking to them and they just say it's so scary, especially for like the boys and the young men, for them just to be in a car and making a lot a wrong turn. They can be killed. Um, and we also have to keep in mind that Israel is a extremely racist and militarized society. And um, so there's a lot of things to touch on. I want to touch on this first. So first of all, conscription is a thing. For Israel, right? They conscript both men and women, and um, when into we military see service. You're talking, yeah. Just so we're clear, yeah, yeah. Thank you. So when they, um, when the Israeli regime bombed Gaza, there were actually surveys to show that over 95 percent of Israelis actually support striking. Literally, an open air prison that's like that's illegally occupied. They support striking that. We have about another survey that showed about 40% of Israelis don't even recognize that Palestinians exist. Who is who is the source I, of this survey? Just so I'm clear. Uh, so the 40%, I think I saw that from the Times of Israel. Okay. I can check on that. And then regarding the other survey, like these are like, I'm citing you like, like legitimate sources, of course. <laughs> and, um, this just speaks to the racism of Israeli society and its militarization. Right. And I also want to be very careful around media right because media has been saying oh hamas has been beheading people they've been raping women and then you know they had to retract their statements and mean like actually there's no proof of that we saw biden arguing that he saw photos like <laughs> actually that was a lie um and even about the rave i was reading about the rave and i was reading a lot of the people who were killed were actually killed by israel like I was reading um, accounts from like the Israelis who were at the rave saying like, 
yeah, Hamas was not trying to kill us. And then the Israelis were just firing at us. And um, and even you mentioned now what's happening in the U.S., like hundreds of Jews were protesting yesterday in Congress against Israel's crimes against Palestine, saying not in our name. Israel, you know, um, Jewish Voice for Peace was a huge organizer in the U.S. and they are anti-Zionist, right? They do recognize that, no, um, settler colonialism is like not in our religion. And uh, we stand with the people of Palestine and the U.S. responded yesterday by arresting hundreds of them. So um, that just shows like, are they actually interested in protecting Jewish people or are they just interested in, um, you know, supporting Israel as like an imperialist settler colonial regime in the Middle East that is, you know, it's not not just eliminates Palestinians, but also um, regularly aggresses against the surrounding countries. Yeah, I, I want to say just on the record, I've not seen anywhere any allegation and, and maybe you can share those with us. We'll be happy to look into it that that Israeli forces killed anybody at the music festival. I haven't seen that anywhere. Um, and I'm referencing right now the Pointer Institute, um, CBS News, CNN, I mean, major American reporting outlets, the, Amer- the AP, the CP. So I haven't seen that. Um, I want to make sure I note that. Um, obviously, there's a there's a big audience response to your appearance right now. We're talking to Gada Sasa, a board member of the Canadians for uh, Peace and Justice in the Middle East. Um, one, Michael just wants me to ask you point blank. Do you believe that Israel has a right to exist? In regards to the rave, I just wanted to point um, the article that I consulted was Electronic Intifada. Okay. You can look into that. I think uh, we know that the mainstream media is extremely complicit. I mean, what can I say? CBC News, you know, just a couple of years ago, they, um, you know, an anchor just said the word Palestine and they made him apologize for saying the word Palestine. Who right? is that? These are extremely, uh, I can't remember who's the anchor, but it was a well known thing at the time and we protested in response outside the CBC building in Toronto. Even, you know, CTV, again, casting doubt over who bombed the hospital. Well, Doctors Without Borders have said Israel bombed the hospital. The church that owns the hospital said Israel bombed the hospital. Palestinians on the ground are telling us. And we've seen Israel report things, lie about their atrocities. And we've seen media just accept it. Again, accepting the beheading of children and the rape of women without actually looking at, hmm. Um, you know, Shireen Abu Akhle, at first they argued that... Um, you know, uh, Palestinians were the ones who killed her, right? And then they were, it was found that the video was actually like, um, their explanation was full of holes. And then we found out actually Israel, it was confirmed, like they did assassinate her. So I think, um, you know, again, just making Palestine, just not trusting Palestinians and just trusting the white supremacist state of Israel is speaks to the white supremacy of Western media. And it makes sense why Britain and the US and Canada as occupier countries like would support a country like Israel. Meanwhile, we see like some of our strongest allies are Ireland, South Africa, like countries that have been oppressed and challenged apartheid, um, people of color all over the world. And I would say even grassroots, I think even even in what's called Canada and beyond, people are siding with Israel, with Palestine, because they know that, you know, um, they're siding with truth and justice. And what we're facing is, a, is just like a genocide. and. Um, I don't know personally like it's heavy what's what we're going through obviously it's really scary and i'm scared for my family back home um they tell me yesterday for two nights in a row actually yesterday and the day before yesterday um israeli settlers protected by the military invaded my village of madama 
Uh, two days ago, they were burning cars and attacking homes. And yesterday they came again. Um, actually, three people um, were shot. Thankfully, I think they were shot in the leg, so they survived. And then um, there were many injuries, dozens of injuries due to tear gas inhalation. So I was speaking with my family yesterday about how they couldn't like breathe. They have to smell onions to be able to breathe. And they just live under constant anxiety. And this is an ongoing thing because I visited Madama before and like, you know, is regularly basically how it works is the settlements are usually on the hilltops. And so um, you can see them at all times. And so when we go like pick figs or olives, we we go up the hills and we try not to go up too much because, you know, that threatens the Israeli settlers can just fire at you. We don't have any defense, right? We don't have like anything protecting us or, <laughs> um, but they do. The settlers, you can just see them walking around daylight and like with like huge rifles. And um, right now the settlers are more armed with ever supported by Ben Givir and this far right Israeli government. And um, regularly, this has been again for years, the settlers just descend on our village, just like break things, um, set things on fire, burn our olive trees. And so um, yesterday they did that again. They, uh, they came at night and they started breaking our trees. And mind you, this is the olive harvest season right now. So October is olive harvest season in Palestine, which is very big for us culturally and economically. And we usually see a rise in settler attacks during this time. So um, you, gotta, you know what you yeah. know what's going on, though, obviously, like Israel right now, the number of I don't know, you know what what the current number is, uh, what they believe of the number of hostages being held. But Israel has been very clear that until these 180 or so hostages are released, they will continue to drop off as as I believe it was their defense minister. I hope my, my quote is correct, but it was it was a senior uh, Israeli military spokesperson that said that no humanitarian aid will be uh, coming in. He said the only thing we'll be dropping off is explosives until the hostages are released do you believe that hamas should release the hostages that were captured on and around october 7th so you just cut me off while i'm describing violence oh no i've been letting you i've been letting you i've been letting you speak and speak and speak if anything i'm going to be criticized in this interview for not jumping in more but i'm trying to be as fair as i possibly can i've not really to this point and i intend on doing it not really challenged you on giving me a real answer on whether or not you condemn 260 civilians being murdered at a music festival it sounds to me i mean you're you're here as a board member the, the reason i reached out is you're a board member the canadian canadians for ju peace justice and peace in the middle east and i don't really to be frank see a commitment from you or a conviction that you believe that peace needs to be part of this process and, and i'm a little bit surprised you're entitled to your position i'll be roasted for this as much as i'll be roasted for having you on the show it's one of the reasons why a lot of talk shows won't do interviews like this but i am trying to bring some semblance of fairness to some of the comments that are being made and some clarification because i, I think that there lacks clarity in some of the answers that we're hearing right now I agreed to be on this show because I'm trying, we're so desperate to have our voice out there, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm explaining, I would hope that you would want to center my voice as a Palestinian because we are the victims in this situation. Yeah, we've, we've booked and, nobody else on the show. You're here on the show. You can speak freely, but that doesn't mean that I can't uh, come in and, and correspond with you and clarify some details. Yeah, um, I'm just I was just describing how during the olive harvest, like we're just like my, my family is afraid for being on our lands because they'll just be attacked by Israeli settlers. I'm just saying we face Israeli terrorism every single day. We don't know if the woman kids leave the house, they're not going to come back. We don't know if we go up to our lands. So like they're, they're telling me sometimes they're afraid to even go up on our lands. 
and um, just be shot, right? So I'm just trying to contextualize what's happening. And then you're asking me about um, the hostages. Well, as I said, they were, um, since 1967, millions of Palestinians have been living under Israeli occupation. In Gaza, they've been placed on a starvation diet since 2007, which means like they are hostages. Israel regularly bombs them. Um, and besides bombing them, they basically, they can deprive them of water, money, food, anytime, including the West Bank. In the West Bank, there's no Hamas there, right? Hamas, like um, in the West Bank, the Palestinian Authority, if anything, has been going along with Israel a lot. <laughs> They've been acting like they're ally in the region. And what did that, what did we see in the West Bank from 1967? As the map you showed, it's just been our land is shrinking. More and more of our people are being killed, imprisoned. Um, and so this is why international law allows for armed struggle against colonizers, because it's not like, you know, I really, you know, there's that famous slogan that we say in protest, no justice, no peace. We all want peace. And I'm a person who's against militarism and against violence. And I recognize the military industrial complex, you know, and, um, and yeah, I, I can assure you that. And even, um, we can see a lot of videos, even from Hamas being like, we are, you know, we want to protect the women, we want to protect the children. And it's just so interesting that now people are trying to use that against us that, you know, we're like, you know, trying to portray us as like barbaric because first of all, um, you know, when when uh, Israel actually colonized Palestine in 1948, I remember reading about how Palestinians were shocked that the Zionists weren't abiding by the Arab code of war, which is basically not to attack women and children, right? So I just don't want, I want people to be aware of um, these tropes and, and just white privilege when we're talking about this issue that you know, again, we are people being violently oppressed and we are doing our best in order to resist. And, you know, we have a right to be free. You know, um, you said a, a viewer asked Michael, he asked if Israel has a right to exist. Yeah. We have a right to exist. We have a right to exist, right? Israel yeah, but, but, is an apartheid regime. Do you believe regime, Israel has a right, right to exist? But that's the thing. If we talk about South Africa as an apartheid regime, did that have a right to exist? Apartheid. I don't know. I guess I'm asking you a yes or no question. What does that mean? If it, like Israel, have a, you know what I mean? What does Israel mean? Because if we're talking about that, like the apartheid regime, right? Because that's why people will say a lot of times I see, I think, oh, like we support Palestine, but we're against the right of return because if Palestinians can return, it's no longer a Jewish democracy. If it's no longer a Jewish democracy, it's not an Israeli state, right? But my argument is always that people have the right to exist. What do you think that Canada's response in this should be? So I think that it's just been honestly um, disgusting how Canada has just been, you know, with Israel and I actually saw in the United Nations, Trudeau has been voting for Israel, even more the conservative uh, Harper regime. We saw again when those... Um, major human rights organizations called Israel an apartheid state, Canada refused to accept that. It refuses to recognize Israel as an apartheid regime. It refuses to place sanctions on Israel. So that's those are the things that we're seeing right now. We want to see sanctions. We want to see Canada calling for the lifting of the siege on Gaza and, uh, of course, ending the bombardment of Gaza. And, um, you know, I... Yeah, I mean, those are, I guess, our major asks right now is, um, you know, we, we want, yeah, we want the Canada to recognize this is an apartheid regime. 
Just like how we took action against South Africa, right? Got a sus as a board member at the Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East, uh, a PhD student at McMaster University. I appreciate you making time for the show today. Thank you. You bet. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, I've got a lot of thoughts on that, and so do you. Um, I think I said some of them to her. I appreciate her availability on the show. Uh, she certainly made no bones about her perspective on a few things, and and obviously, you know, refused to answer some some clear questions elsewhere um you know I, i'm getting some personal messages from people on my phone people that know my number people that, that uh, know me personally i'm not going to say your names uh one of you says this is appalling uh this is not remotely balanced nor challenged um you know we are uh doing our best in in this circumstance and our track record will show that over the past two weeks as well as the three years that this show has existed uh, to represent important perspectives that can deepen our understanding of issues and further conversations. Um, I got a reference, uh, the Nakba, and uh, I want to point you back to our May 11th episode of Real Talk. Uh, Musa Kaskas joined us on the show, uh, marking the 75th anniversary of the Nakba. If you'd like to deepen your understanding of that and, and glean uh, uh, Musa uh, in earnest, coming on and sharing his perspective as a Palestinian Canadian, uh, this as violence was erupting in Gaza back in May. That's our May 11th issue when we ask, what's the solution? Uh, you can uh, look to that interview for background. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I think that it's fair to say that the average person, uh, I think right now, uh, is horrified by what's happening in Gaza, what's happened in Israel, uh, what's happening uh, in the West Bank, and what could happen moving forward. And uh, for good reason, people are wondering uh, what to believe. Uh, even the hospital bombing yesterday, uh, you know, and, and, and how people, you know, this, this is a thing uh, where obviously facts matter. And so the whole thing about uh, on the 7th of October, let's start there. You know, were babies beheaded or not? Were women raped or not? Were civilians shot point blank? Were people shot, hunted down and shot in their cars as they were trying to flee a music festival? Uh, the evidence is there. Uh, the video is there showing that people trying to flee that music festival were murdered, that sexual assaults were happening. Uh, I've seen some people obsessed with the details on whether or not, I can't even believe I'm talking about this, this is whether or not babies were beheaded, is it true or is it false? And one news source will say yes, the IDF will say yes, uh, spokespersons representing a Palestinian perspective, some of them uh, will say no, Hamas says absolutely not no, and then people fight on social media about whether or not it's true. And if a baby was beheaded, then everything else is true. And if a baby wasn't beheaded, then everything else is a lie. And I don't think that the average person with common sense subscribes to that or believes that. The perspective that I can align with is that all of this is horrific. That the attacks, the terror attacks on Israel, on civilians on the 7th of October were deplorable and horrific. And that the attacks on civilians and intentionally starving civilians in Gaza is horrific and unacceptable. And the international community does not want to see that. And some people will simply shrug like an individual that approached me yesterday in person on the street to talk about this shrug and say, that's the cost of war. Some people look at this as nothing more than 
war, a fight over territory, a fight over a right to exist, and all's fair in war, some will argue. Personally, my heart breaks over all of this. We've spoken to people representing Jewish perspectives. A personal friend of mine, Kinneret Ozuri, joined us on the show last Tuesday, if you missed it, the day after the Thanksgiving Monday. She had, along with her young family, emerged from the bomb shelter where they'd been in and out all weekend in their home outside Tel Aviv. Her story, very compelling, heartbreaking. You hear the story of Palestinians that have lost family members, that have seen entire neighborhoods raised by Israeli missiles. I don't think anybody is okay with that. But I do think that if we're going to talk about peace and justice in the Middle East, we need to be able to define clear perspectives on what we see as, I will not say acceptable, because I don't know anybody that's happy or sees anything acceptable about any of this, But what will the international community tolerate and what will the international community draw a line at? The hospital bombing yesterday, another example. People questioning the credibility of news sources. So says Hamas or so say some Palestinian outlets. More than 500 people killed as Israel, uh, as, as the IDF intentionally targeted a hospital. The evidence... She tells a different story. Video evidence shows that there was an explosion near a hospital in a parking lot, that 500 people were not killed, that the hospital was not bombed. The American president, Joe Biden, in meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu yesterday, reiterating America's support for Israel, reiterating that the explosion was caused by, in the president's words, the other guys talking about Hamas. People were outraged by that. Other people outraged by what was deemed or described to be a false report in the first place. So you're not alone if you're listening to these interviews and watching this coverage and saying, I don't know what to think. And you're definitely not alone if you're saying, I'm just going to stay out of this one. I'm not going to offer public comments I'm not going to put a Palestinian flag on my social media bio. I'm not putting an Israeli flag on my social media bio because you know even within your own circle of friends, like on my personal phone right now, you know that somebody that you care about is going to take big issue with a position that you've taken in good faith. If you're having a hard time wrapping your mind around all of this, like me, and I think billions of other people, If it helps you in the process to write it out, you're welcome to send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. These are not easy conversations. In so many ways, as some of you are valued audience members, we're outraged that we've been bringing Israeli perspectives on the show. We know that many of you will be outraged that you heard this interview on the show. We won't apologize for it. You never know what's going to happen in an interview until the interview happens. Mm-hmm. But we always seek your feedback. I wasn't going to drag you into this. Well, I know. I've but been... you cracked your mic, as we say in the business. And yeah. So I want to welcome you in, Johnny, uh, well, I've been and just tr- ask for your thoughts. I've been trying to stay out of it. And, you know, I, I can see uh, in our last guest's face, you know, I can see her anger. I can see her sorrow. I, can, I mean, talking about 
four, over 40 of her family members, you know, perishing this week. I understand that. And um, it's, it's just a very messy situation. And, and I don't want to take any side other than all of it is horrible. But I will say that you did your best to try and get her to answer two questions. One, should Israel exist? which is basically asking, you know, do these people have a right to life? I think is what you were trying to say. And I understand that she maybe took that as should they have governance over the land, but but that's not what you were asking. The second thing, you know, was asking about the music festival, which she kind of skirted as well, which I was hoping she would come back to because I feel like that's where the interview started to go off track, uh, you know, with saying that Israel was there killing people when we have, we have clear video evidence and, and people's recollections of the scene of, of what happened there. I haven't seen any reporting saying that it was Israel. there shooting people. No reputable news sources reporting so, that Israel so, was So I feel people. like that's where the interview went down. But, but again, I'll say it. You can see in her face, you can see in her voice, the desperation, the anger, the fear, and on, on, on both sides, it's just a horrible situation. And I've said this before, Ryan, I don't know how this is when people talk about peace talks. How do you talk about peace when this has been going on 75 or if you want to say thousands of like, I just don't see how this comes to there are a peaceful fruition. I appreciate your thoughts. There are uh, I, I mean, there are groups of people. Uh, there are ethnicities, let's say, that don't believe that other ethnicities should be walking on planet Earth. And I think that's what you were I mean, asking. There, there are people that believe that entire ethnic groups should be wiped from the face of the Earth. It's horrible. Uh, and that's a fact. I mean, let, let's let's go to the the live chat here. I mean, you know, Dixie says love, peace, tolerance, acceptance. These lessons are not being practiced in the Holy Land. Uh, noob, try again, says just but I may not agree with all perspectives we see on this show. Me neither, noob. Uh, says, but but I would rather hear from them than not. Uh, keep up the direction you're headed. It's the right way to go. We will. Uh, Shane is digging in here. He says, Ryan is starving civilians in Gaza, not a form of state terrorism. Why reserve the term terror for non-state actors? This is the asymmetry that infuriates the marginalized Palestinian population. I'm not going to sit here on this platform and condone starving civilians no one is it's horrific and i've said it many times and if you've missed me saying it i almost feel like you're intentionally ignoring it i mean look at our youtube shorts look at our actually tiktok keeps pulling our content down but look at instagram right now, yeah. look at our instagram reels uh, we, we've talked about this war and said it is all horrific and nobody wants to see it uh, but i would say that the terror attack that occurred on october 7th against israel uh, where hundreds and hundreds of people, civilians, were murdered, and uh, a couple hundred civilians uh, were taken hostage, prompted uh, an enormous military response from Israel that I fear is only just getting started. And I think that one of the ways that the pressure militarily could be eased and that aid, humanitarian aid, and Israel has been clear about this, that humanitarian aid could start to f travel into that region in Gaza would be to release those hostages. And Israel has been very clear that it will not stop with its barrage of rocket fire and we expect ground attacks, troops lining up on the border, the entire global community holding its breath. Uh, Israel will not stop until those hostages are released. 
So we can get, uh, we can get, I don't want to say whimsical, that's the wrong word. We can get intellectual. We can get intellectual about the root of this conflict. And these are important conversations to have. And these are very valid perspectives. And we must endeavor to hear from people that have been living under the thumb of oppression for decades, for years. Of course, that's an important perspective. We need to hear that. But there's nothing intellectual going back to the 1940s or the 1960s that factors in, in my mind, to justify what happened in Israel on October 7th. I cannot be alone in saying that that is not the appropriate response. That is not where decolonization begins. You know, we receive these messages from people. Oftentimes, your emails to us are just one line. Those are sometimes the best ones. They jump right out at us. They put a question in my brain, and it burrows its way in. And your question sent to us forms or helps shape my opinion going into an interview, right? And someone will simply say, what does decolonization actually look like? Mm -hmm. Is it eliminating a state? Is it eliminating a people group? What does decolonization actually look like? I don't want to compare uh, because I hesitate to compare because there's nuance, etc. But many people are invoking the story, the tragedy of indigenous people in Canada here. And, and talking about the colonist history of Canada. Now I ask you, what is the appropriate way to pursue reconciliation in Canada? Did it start with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission? Did it start with the calls to action? Are we on our way? We talk about indigenous self-governance. We talk about indigenous justice and policing, indigenous land management. We've had all of these conversations on Real Talk. You can search our archives on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. It certainly would not start with 260 people being murdered at the Edmonton Folk Music Festival. And if that were the case, heaven forbid, and 200 hostages were taken by a militant group, I suspect that we wouldn't be having intellectual conversations about how to address that or deal with that either. I know some of you are going to be pissed off about what we're saying. I know some of you are going to feel like we're censoring voices or that I cut her off or that we ended the interview early, Mm -mm. that you haven't heard enough perspectives on this side or that side. We welcome your feedback and we mean it. And if you've watched or heard this show before, you know that we don't curate our messages and our feedback to ensure that we only platform the ones that are praising us. If you're making good points, if you're making fair points, there's a very good chance that you will hear your take on a future episode of Real Talk. Thanks for doing it, though. I mean, I knew this was going to be hard today and every day the last two weeks. There's no way... Nobody is not going to get fired up. Nobody's going to get angry and mad and sad. And and it's just, you know, Tina says here, Israel is not people. Israel is a state. I think that's what your guest was trying to say, but it didn't come across that way. And I like that you've tried to get her to say exactly what she was trying to get across. What is your meaning here? It didn't really happen. Uh, DK Gray, good friend of the show. 
local artist. We've got his uh, Love p- picture hanging right he's, here. He's, he's the guy that created that beautiful digital masterpiece. Mm-hmm. If you're watching on YouTube, right behind you there, right Johnny, in support of the Real Talk Julie Rose Scholarship. And he said something on Twitter yesterday that just has stuck with me for days. Uh, and he said, do you want to solve problems or do you want to win arguments? Because they're two different processes. And I feel like that's what's happening today. I don't feel like I don't I, I just don't see a resolution for this in the future. And I feel like, you know, one side's got to be 100 percent right or 100 percent wrong. And it's it's just really sad. But hey, bombing a hospital. I don't care who does that or whether it hit the parking lot or whatever. I don't care who does that. That's terrorism. Well, uh, OK, I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, well, no, let's get to that right now. First of all. And and again, like, I guess, you know, we're an independent outlet. We are our own bosses. Our standards are, are you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to mention our sponsors first because we, we, we've gone, you know, almost an hour without mentioning our sponsors. And, and quite frankly, I got I want to give a shout out to our sponsors. I'm going to mention three of them right now um, that that I know that as long as we're not if we can stand by in good faith, the conversations we're having, as long as we keep this platform of one with repute, um, these are sponsors that we don't have to check in with every single day to find out if they're okay with real talk, to find out if they're okay with challenging conversations. And that's not the case with every media outlet. So I want to give a big shout out. If you're doing business, if you're looking to invest your money, for example, into your home, I'm going to ask you personally to invest your money, your budget with sponsors that go to the wall for us. And that includes the team at California Closets, uh, custom closets and storage solutions for the entire home. My wife and I, Carrie, were proud to invest in California Closets. Coming up, it's hard to believe, on 10 years ago. And the changes that that made in our experience, in staying organized, in the value of our home, and just how everything looks, it is so pro. It is custom designed. We are thrilled every single time we open a drawer, a cabinet, or anything else that California Closets did for us. They've got a podcast out. If you want to check out their Ideas of Order, hosted by Jeremiah Brent, you can link to it on their website. That's the same place you go to request a free consultation at californiaclosets.ca. Also, a big shout-out to our friends. This is the family-owned business that makes sure that our dogs get the nutrition that they need every single day. That's Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. Love these Grand Dog Essentials. Honestly, man. Love them. This company, their story of growth over the past few years. I was talking to to one of them. This is all, they're all family members that are running this business. And what they have done, what they have built over the last few years is unbelievable. And you know why? Because the word is out. People are realizing that with this quality raw food, they're seeing health benefits with their dogs and their cats too. And that includes our family. Through the month of October, you can knock 16 bucks off a box of chicken veggie dog food blend the entire month of October using the discount code October2023. That's all one word at granddog.ca. Go to the shop now link and check out their four leaf rover bundles as well. These are supplements, curated bundles with a specific health consideration in mind. So if your dog's having allergy issues, joint support issues, immunity support issues, your dog's just a senior. They're getting up there in age. They need a little extra support something in their diet maybe it's a fiber boost a kibble bowl boost whatever you'll find it all at granddog.ca delivered to your door in edmonton calgary and central alberta and a big shout out to the team that built this studio that we're coming to this podcast every single day you see it on youtube this beautiful facility of ours did not look like this when we got in here that is the work 
the craftsmanship of complete care restoration. Now, of course, if you experience a nightmare, fire, flood, mold, asbestos, you're going to want to call complete care restoration. But that's not all they do. They're experts in construction and renovation. So maybe it's a new boot room. Maybe you're going to overhaul your basement, finally get it developed. Maybe you own a small office building or commercial space. You want to convert it to residential or something else. They do it all, and they do it with professionalism. We've seen firsthand. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. But I will say, Ryan, and we've been friends for a while. Hmm. But working this closely, I don't know anyone else who could have navigated that. I mean, you did the best you could, right? Well, and we appreciate different perspectives. We want to make sure that we wanted her on what people are hearing is as factual as possible, as is fact checked as possible. And 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 oftentimes we're doing stuff on the fly. Uh, oftentimes, and we welcome correction. Like guests will correct us all the time. Um, you know, if they hear something or you know a question is posed a certain way, they don't like the framing of it. That's a good thing. I've never, as an interviewer, been self conscious when somebody says, "Actually, mm-hmm. you know, Adler did it on Monday of this week." When I misspoke, right, I said the West Bank instead of Gaza and Adler jumped in right away. Right. And, and, and he said, actually, what you mean is, guys, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing for the audience to know that this is a show that cares about facts. I mean, even yesterday, you know, give a, a shout out, uh, even though I'm a little bit annoyed at Max Fawcett. I love Max, <laughs> but I am a little bit annoyed at Max because uh, Max doesn't realize he can text me instead of just blowing us up on Twitter all the time. Um, he likes to be out there. He likes to be out there. And uh, our episode yesterday on Real Talk uh, was a, a fascinating one, by the way. Martin will Shinsky joined us, a lawyer. Yeah, we got a uh, well, he's a law. He's he's a law prof. Uh, out of the University of Calgary, and, and he was uh, uh, co-counsel for World Wildlife Fund Canada in front of the Supreme Court. We'll get to that in just a second. But Max blew us up on something yesterday. He didn't like how we framed the conversation as, as, <laughs> as we uh, characterized the Supreme Court's decision on the Impact Assessment Act. Basically, you know, Jason Kenney's No More Pipelines bill, the Impact Assessment Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, I characterized that as the Supreme Court telling the feds to butt out on pipelines, and Max didn't like that. We welcome your fact check. We welcome your criticism of the show. Uh, shows that can't handle that stuff might be dealing with a little bit of insecurity, and that's not our problem. You can find that interview, by the way, on YouTube, and thanks to everybody that subscribes. But I wanted to touch on the hospital thing because I do think it's important to note. There were reports that Israel fired rockets at a hospital in mm-hmm. Gaza, killing more than 500 people, and the world was outraged. It earned the immediate condemnation of Canada's prime minister, of senior cabinet ministers everybody had something to say as you would if you saw a civilian hospital bombed but the facts show that that may not be the case Mm -hmm. that that's probably not the case i mean we have some video if you can roll it johnny and and i mean i would suspect and again you'll say oh all of a sudden you're you know you're expecting the american president the americans uh in wartime the americans relating to the middle east the americans protecting their energy interests their security interests and everything else they're going to tell us the truth joe biden yesterday sitting with benjamin netanyahu says that intelligence that he has seen the president of the united states gives him reason to believe that this was not an israeli rocket that the explosion occurred in a parking lot that 500 people were not killed now getting back to the context of the beheaded babies and that was satellite 
information. Now, that, does this mean, hearing. though, yeah, so that everything's cool in Gaza? No. If a rocket hit a parking lot instead of a hospital, if 500 people didn't die, does that mean that there's no reason for concern? Does that mean that everybody can rest easy? Does that mean that we're not all torn up about this? Obviously not. Of course not. But facts do matter. And if Israel did not bomb a hospital, and you believe that Israel did bomb a hospital, then your perspective on that story, at least that day, and probably bigger picture, will be skewed. Facts matter. And we likely know that the baby beheading stuff was, was bullshit, right? So there's, there's, stuff, there's stuff coming out every day, and especially on Twitter, that is, is hard to wade through. And... I mean, we were outraged when we heard about the the bombing of the hospital, but at the same time, we both said, "Let's take a minute here because yeah. everything that's coming out right now, it it can't be verified immediately, right?" Yeah, uh, M A says uh, this is to me where the United Nations needs to have stronger powers to walk in and stop both sides from killing each other. M A says, "I know this is but a dream." I think everybody is probably busted up. Most people busted up by all of this and trying to find a way to find a solution here, to find peace. I mean, I've been, all I do in my spare time, don't worry, guys, I still talk to my kids. I still interact with my wife, I promise. But I listen to as many podcasts as I can. I consume as much information as I can. I read as much as I can. And I know a lot of you are the same way because you tell us that. I've been trying to understand, like, what went sideways uh, back in when, when was it? I'm going to embarrass myself. Was it 93? Was it 93 when Bill Clinton, ha, when, when Bill Clinton, uh, essentially people saw that famous handshake, wasn't it in the Rose Garden, when we believed that peace had been achieved in the Middle East and then everything went sideways again? Is it possible? The world wants it. Will there have to be concessions from Israel? Probably. Will there have to be concessions by, can I say Hamas? Do I say Palestine? I don't know. Hmm. Obviously, can we get there? Now, we did fact check something because I had not heard a story of, of, um, of, of uh, the CBC or, or, or of a, an anchor uh, getting in hot water for, for saying the word uh, Palestine. Oh, yeah. She and, mentioned and, that and, during and the interview. She, she mentioned that during the interview. And I was fact checking on the fly. And, and, and it turns out. This is an interesting story. I had not heard of this. The, the point that she made is a valid one. Uh, this is interesting. This is back on March 4th of 2021. You can read it on CBC's website, cbc.radiocanada.ca, radio-canada.ca. Um, the August 18th interview, uh, so this would have been back in 2020, okay, because this was posted in early March of 2021. Um, Joe Sacco is a graphic novelist and an American journalist uh, that appeared on The Current, one of the flagship current affairs programs on CBC Radio 1. Uh, Mr. Sacco had authored a book called Paying the Land, which focuses on the effects of resource extraction in northern Canada on indigenous peoples, in particular the Dene Nation. And Duncan McHugh was the guest host of The Current that day. And during the interview, Duncan McHugh made reference to some of Sacco's earlier writing about conflict zones, including, quote, Bosnia, Iraq, and Palestine. And programmers, uh, I guess, subsequently deleted the reference to the word Palestine. Uh, for those that didn't tune in live, those that heard it later would not have heard Palestine. Uh, and that includes the Western Canadian audience. Uh, because um, the office, uh, after receiving numerous complaints about a reference to Palestine... Uh, determined that the CBC's editorial position at that time was to refer to it 
as the Palestinian territories. Hmm. And so an apology was issued by guest host Duncan McHugh, uh, who was guest hosting on The Current, quote, yesterday in my interview with Joe Sacco, I referred to the Palestinian territories as Palestine. We apologize, my bad. Uh, hmm. That from Duncan McHugh, which is just a point of interest, and I wanted to put that in front of people. That wasn't something that I had heard. Um, Me either. And uh, it helps deepen our understanding of this. And we need to hear everything. We I do. Will, I will say that I, I get it. I mean, I, I, I know the perspective of someone who's born on the Gaza Strip is going to be vastly different. It's going to be the exact polar opposite of someone born in Jerusalem. So these things going on, like, I, I, I could see her conviction, I could see her anger during the interview, but I like that you tried to check some of the things that even I kind of uh, bristled at. I will say that th there's just so much anxiety in the world right now. I mean, a lot of people thinking, like, war, world war is going to break out somewhere. You've got this going on, you've got Russia, Ukraine, you've got China and North... Uh, we haven't even talked about it. I know it's out of the sphere of what we're talking about right now, but the, the China fighter that 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 did that reckless close fly to a Canadian surveillance oh, plane over international waters. There's just all this stuff going on, and it, it's uh, it's very scary times right now. Yeah. Um, the Boston Globe has uh, an interesting uh, piece out in the battle between Israel and uh, Palestine. It says, or Israel and Hamas, uh, politicians have a responsibility to verify propaganda, uh, which is true, obviously. Um, you know, uh, Al Jazeera has a piece here. I'm looking, this was published six days ago, take it for what it's worth. And I, and I never uh, take for granted that some of you may be hearing this podcast months after we record it. Uh, we're talking to you right now on October 19th of 2023. Um, um, an opinion piece by Rami Khoury. Uh, you can read it at aljazeera.com. Watching the watchdogs is the headline. Babies and truth die together in Israel and Palestine. Argues that the Israel-Palestine conflict is being fought not only between militaries and fighters on the ground, but also between media narratives on the air. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that you could read as well if you wanted to deepen your understanding of that. I appreciate our, our live chat is humming today. Uh, your engagement as audience members here is uh, something that we don't take for granted. Uh, why don't we get to, if you missed yesterday, our conversation, we're going to turn the page here to the Supreme Court's decision, a five to two decision in favor of the provinces, essentially fighting, and I'll say most notably, uh, governments in Alberta and Saskatchewan fighting against the Impact Assessment Act. This is a big part of the federal government's climate plan. And uh, it was something that was impacting, was described as unconstitutional, uh, as an overreach, um, and, uh, you know, and, and much more sort of, uh, you know, politically driven, politically charged language by the premiers in Alberta, Saskatchewan. It was interfering with and halting or slowing uh, big infrastructure projects like pipelines, like natural gas facilities. It would be relevant and applicable to, for example, uh, highways that would cross provincial borders. Uh, Martin Olshinsky is a, a law professor uh, with a great deal of experience in resource law, uh, so much so that he was co-counsel for World Wildlife Fan uh, Canada and uh, was appearing as an intervener in front of the Supreme Court. He joined us yesterday uh, to make sense of the court's decision and to help us understand what it meant for projects moving forward. The position of the Alberta government, the position of Danielle Smith, is that build, baby, build, right? This is great news, says Danielle Smith, for energy uh, infrastructure expansion in Alberta and for future projects like natural gas 
transplants as Alberta uh, inches toward a net zero grid on a pace that's much slower than many of the other provinces. Alberta, the one, as you've heard from Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz on this show, you've heard from the federal Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo on this show. They don't see eye to eye on any of this on Alberta's path toward net zero, but the provincial government arguing that natural gas is going to be a big part of that. So the premier is pretty optimistic, feeling pretty bullish uh, about uh, the future of these projects in Alberta in particular, following that Supreme Court decision. You can catch the full interview. That would be our October 18th episode of Real Talk. We encourage you to do so if you want to understand it uh, from a no bones and an informed perspective that Martin brings to the table. But he also talked to us about a review that he and many of his academic colleagues at the university are calling for. They want a public review. You might call it a public inquiry. They want a public review of the Alberta Energy Regulator. You've heard a lot about the AER on this show. Can the AER be trusted? Our position has been, for quite some time, a simple no. And Martin explained why. The industry in this province has the regulator wrapped around their finger. The province has for two decades watched the inactive well count climb and climb and climb and climb. The industry would have to spend 700 or $800 million a year, and it would still take over 60 or 70 years to close that liability gap. Does anyone really think that that's a realistic timeline? Does anyone really think that the industry is going to be able to close that gap? People will go down in history as saying, yeah, that that person was appointed here by this premier and collected a fat paycheck and acted in the interests of big oil and basically betrayed the people of Alberta and kind of, quite frankly, fucked us all over? Or are there like consequences? We've called public inquiries into this province for way lesser things. Currently, actually, the Alberta Utilities Commission is conducting an inquiry into renewables with a moratorium for six months. We're not even calling for a moratorium here when we're talking about $260 billion in estimated liabilities. We're saying, give us an inquiry. Give us an inquiry. That from Martin Olshinsky appearing on the show yesterday. Now, I posted it, you know, I put it out there and uh, sort of asked you what you were thinking about it. And I, I, I want to I get your take on this. And Johnny, I also wanted to read some of the comments that we got, one of them in particular that just absolutely blew my mind. I understand that there are people that don't like this show. And I understand <laughs> there are people, there's a few of them that really hey guys. don't like me. And, uh, and that's okay. So anything that they hear on the show, no matter who the guest is, no matter what the perspective is, they hate it. They think it's idiotic. They think it's misinformed. They think it's propaganda. They think it's leftist. They think it's environmental quackery. They think it's extremist and the like. We've seen it all. We've heard it all. We welcome your feedback and thank you for helping us trend. So I share the clip of Martin, the one that Johnny put together, the one that you just heard. And as you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I simply said, Albertans, you're getting screwed. And some of the responses I thought I'd share with you today. Morgan said, yeah, we already knew that. Uh, Martin said, thanks, Ryan, and then linked to the policy school paper that they discussed, and I appreciate him sharing that. Dan said, what a great show and guest. He knows his stuff. Gene said, what an excellent interview. Okay, a lot of people liked it. But there were these, like Mitt Puncher, who says, nope, we're not getting screwed. We're just getting lied to by NDP fanboys. 
you know, for I guess I'm the NDP fanboy, or maybe that's Martin. Mitt Puncher, not particularly concerned about the hundreds of millions of dollars in environmental liabilities that are in orphaned wells. You know, Balk says, uh, hyper-partisan dude from Twitter, the same guy who lies daily. Why would anybody suddenly believe it's an emergency to remove wellheads? Says Balk, pro tip, we live with them he's talking about orphan wells we live with them on our land and it isn't something we worry about i don't know if balk maybe doesn't have livestock there (laughs) i actually awarded him i said that might be the dumbest tweet i've seen all year um you know obviously this is something that should concern all people but most particularly landowners right and then there was Bo that offered us this thoughtful reply Shut the fuck up, Jespo, you alcoholic piece of shit. Nobody gives a fuck what you think. <laughs> Bo, at that moment, was struck off the invite list for our holiday party. Oh, man. There's going to be a lot of booze there. Just say no to Bo <laughs> at the Real Talk holiday party. If there's a perspective that you'd like to hear on this show, if there's a guest that you'd like us to reach out to, that you think would bring something to the table that you haven't seen on our table yet, we want you to let us know. You want, we want to know uh, where you believe these conversations need to go. There's a lot of talk shows that don't even check their email. That's not us. We truly believe that the show is nothing without you, our Real Talk audience, and we want to thank you for your support. On episodes that are easy lifting, like our Alberta Beer Roundtable last Friday. I think that might be what Bo's referencing. I think that's what he meant. I think that might be Bo's a little touchy about our cheers to Alberta Beer's Roundtable last but we Friday. we needed that one after oh, all the buddy, hard talks. Tell me about it. Or maybe it's an episode that's a little bit more heavy lifting, like today's. We want to thank you for being here. These episodes happen with the support of sponsors like our friends at Friesen Brothers, who want to let you know that this weekend, October 21st and 22nd, at all of their fresh market stores, they're presenting October Feast. That's right. It's 4 to 8 p.m. those two days, the 21st and 22nd, a German-inspired all-you-can-eat meal for just $25 per person. These are at the Friesen Brothers in Edmonton, Stony Plain, Hinton Hill, shout out to Hinton, Peace River, Fort Saskatchewan, and Drumheller. You can learn more about what it includes, that Alberta beef roulade and pork schnitzel, Ivan sausage, chicken fricassee, and more by visiting Friesen.com or by checking them out in-store. Those are all the Friesen Brothers Fresh Market locations. Friesen Brothers is Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. A shout-out to our sponsors at Kubi Energy. Man, they've got a lot to celebrate. Kubi Energy, you know, is Alberta's biggest solar installer. In Western Canada, the reputation continues to grow. They were just a couple of months ago awarded Best Solar Installer for the city of Kamloops. That's where one of their big HQs is. You know, oftentimes people will say to us, well, why Kubi? What sets Kubi apart? You know that the Kubi team has decades of cumulative experience in solar. They've been in it since almost the beginning. The story of the company is remarkable. Oil and gas guys that saw where the future of energy was going and that made a pivot, that made a shift. Now they're employing dozens and dozens and dozens of people across Western Canada and helping this country get to its green energy goals. You can request a free quote today. Get their team designing your install so they can get up on your roof this spring or get out to your farm this winter. It all starts with a visit to kubienergy.ca. 
If you're looking at solar and going green, but you also have landscaping as part of your plan to create a more sustainable space, Eden Landscaping is doing a ton of work with new trends in landscape design. One of those is attracting pollinators, you know, everything from bees to butterflies using indigenous grasses, grasses, native plants as well to the area where you live. It's all part of the design process, and you can learn more about it by checking out their website, landscapeedmonton.ca. You check out the portfolio, and you can see how they've brought other clients' spaces to life based on exactly what they were looking for. From modern to traditional and everything in between, landscapeedmonton.ca is where you'll find Eden Landscaping's proof that their projects all have one thing in common, that's happy clients. Coming up on tomorrow's Real Talk, uh, we're going to change pace a little bit and we're going to look at why Edmonton's getting such international attention for its plan on bike infrastructure. We're going to talk about evolving transit trends. We're going to look at how cities are being built to accommodate where people are going and how. It's a roundtable you won't want to miss, including one of the world's foremost experts from Holland joining us right here in the Real Talk studio. We'll see you then. Thanks for tuning in. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.